This is Kevin Evans with the Chapter by Chapter Life class at Crossroads Assembly of God in Greenville. And we have, after a long trudge, finished the four Gospels uh, last week, and we are continuing our study uh, through Acts and Romans before we, we leave the sequential order of Scripture. And I don't know where we're going after Romans. We'll have to discuss that when the time comes. But today, we are taking up a new book in Acts 1. And uh, just a generalized background, which we usually do up front. Who wrote it? Luke. Luke. Bill said with absolute certainty. Are you, cer are you certain that it was Luke? Yeah, they say that this book is actually a sequel to his book, the book of Luke. Um, that's fair, and I think most of Christendom <laughs> agrees with you. Um, <coughs> Luke begins with, to my friend Theophilus, and so does the Gospel of Luke, which we know Luke wrote and Luke signed. Luke does not actually identify his own name in Acts, but I think just the uh, inscription to Theophilus is almost enough. And, and he says, you know, in my former book, so he's claiming the other book. So I, I think you can see this is an extension of Luke and it's going to pick up all of the same authenticities that, uh, that Luke has already established. We don't know who the office is. Oh, I mean, uh, we're getting there. Hold on. So, also, uh, I think it's interesting, another thing that validates this is that in uh, uh, Acts 16, which we'll get to in many, many weeks, um, Paul has a, a vision, a dream, and a man of Macedonia calls him in the dream to come to Macedonia. And, and he, huh? Macedonia, Ha, ha, ha. It's a Macadamia. It's different. It's different. I think I'm really that. Okay. So. Isn't it Macedonian? Macedonian. I am. You know, I'm pretty sure I pronounced that correctly. Anyway. Uh, so. Uh, yeah, yeah, maybe. I don't know. It's so, uh, it, but, but we don't know who this is. It's somebody who appeared in Paul's dream, and then he heads out and uh, he meets a woman that, that the Holy Spirit led him to, which is what the dream is all about. Now, scholars note that in the original Greek, uh, when Luke was writing this, he's describing events using the pronoun they. And then after the vision of the man from Macedonia, he shifts to the pronoun we which would imply that the writer of the book was present for all of the events after that point. Does that make sense? Well, we know Luke was with Paul in, because uh, if you look in 2 Timothy and Colossians and in Philemon, it, Paul talks about Luke being with him. Yes, and Paul became, I mean, Luke became basically a disciple to Paul, and a lot of scholars like to suggest that Luke is the man from Macedonia that Paul saw in a vision. And when he got there, Luke becomes his disciple and follows him out and, and writes his gospel. And he writes Acts as an extension of that gospel. And his doctor. And his doctor. Because we have established that Luke is called a physician in, yeah. in several places. Which is interesting too. And because uh, we, we think of doctors as being people that take up 25% of our income after we retire. Uh, 
uh, it's a very different institution in the ancient times. Doctors were, were not uh, esteemed uh, professional elites back then. Uh, they were intelligent and they were very well studied, but you did not open a practice and then, you know, and, and, and prosper that way. The, the economics didn't work that way. And often doctors uh, had patrons. And I read several commentaries that argued vehemently as to what that meant. Either it meant they were out and out slaves of a, a rich person who then trained them at, in medicine and then their function within the household of their master was to see to everybody's health. Uh, they, were, they were like the house medic. Or they, uh, the doctor would have a, uh, a benefactor and he, the benefactor basically paid all of his basic expenses and bills but he still operated as a semi-independent operator. But anytime that benefactor called him, he had to come running because that was the guy that was paying all his bills. You know, uh, that guy came first. And if that guy had 30 people that are working for him, everyone in his household came first. Uh, it's kind of like the way a lawyer on retainer works. You know, uh, and, and I think both of those the, both of those arrangements were actually uh, in, in effect in, in back in the day. Uh, Luke was almost certainly Greek in his background, not uh, necessarily uh, Hebrew, although he seems to have an understanding of Hebrew culture. But uh, I think it's good work that he's from Macedonia, which is a Greek city just down, I believe, Athens, where Alexander the Great's father was from. I think all. it is strange, though, that they, they, they address him as Luke, the beloved physician. Yes. Uh, so the the... Prevailing theory, who is Theophilus, Bill asked us. Prevailing theory number one. Theophilus means beloved of God. It means believer. It means fellow God-loving brethren. It could be a general uh, opening. Uh, Acts is not written as a letter. It does not have all of the earmarks of one of Paul's epistles, which are written to a specific church. And really, he was writing to a bunch of people, but he was writing, it was very personal, and it was very specific to the needs in that place. This does not have all of those specifics. This is a book. This is a history, and, or at least as close as, as we get to a history in ancient literature. Uh, it was written for general consumption. Even if you take out all of that first intro and just take it on its literary structure, it is written for general consumption. Uh, the voice is broad and in many cases unvoiced, which, which is a literary thing. Um, Theophilus could be, well, it is an actual name. It was commonly used. But it could also be a broad statement that it would, would like, dear believer, and it was kind of, it's like calling a man dude, dear dudes, because it's not a particular person, it's general. Like dedicated? No. What do you mean? Like dedicated. I don't know what you mean. What, I don't know what you're saying. Explain. Dedicated. 
Dedicated, you mean like dedicated to being a disciple or what? Dedicated like, to Theophilus. Yeah. yeah, like a dedication, I, I mean, more or less. It's not not necessarily yeah. like a person or whatever. Just, yeah. uh, well, that's, that's what I'm saying. Person. I think that's first plan. And honestly, yeah. I like that explanation better. Yeah, that's not. That's okay. Uh, second explanation, and here is what I assume Yek is thinking. Um, <laughs> Philip the physician uh, was a physician, because we know that from everything else. And the way physicians work is you had somebody paying your bills. Uh, often the guy that you are helping get well is not paying you. Somebody else is. So uh, the, the theory is that uh, if you want to just take the whole story out, is that there was a rich dude in Macedonia somewhere, and Paul converted a rich Greek who, who became a believer, and that rich Greek uh, also, many of his household did, including his physician named Luke, and the rich Greek either freed Luke or probably did not free Luke, but assigned Luke to Paul as a servant to uh, do whatever you can for him, and he did that as a gift to Paul. And so this uh, Luke uh, follows him and acts as Paul's servant and watches Paul write epistle after epistle in theological instruction to all of the churches that he has gone through, which Luke is following him through. And in so doing, he writes, and he's writing to a broad group of people. He understands that he is establishing the, the teachings of this faith. And so he fills in the historicity of the gospel from the gospels to the beginning of the church. And basically what Acts turns into is a biography of Paul, which is Luke's patron, which is, which is, he, is he is Paul's disciple. So he's writing the biography of his master, which makes perfect sense. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't think so, because Paul doesn't come up into this thing until toward the end of, or middle of Acts. But it turns into his biography. It does. It turns into his biography. It's the history of the Christian church, but, but you know, it's focused on Paul. So, uh, Theophilus may have well been the rich Greek patron that he owed himself to, and he was writing this as a matter of obligation to his old master, because that was part of the deal of his following Paul. Some say he was a Roman official, but the one that I kind of put some credence into is that, yes, he was rich, yes, he was a patron, but he was also a publisher. He's the one that... Yeah, I never came across that. Yeah, right, 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 right. Oh, right there in your Bible? Yeah, right. also another thing. Well, but the thing that I heard about that, when you could get a patron who would back up your writings, like the book of the gospel. He's a Christian. He says, yes, I'll, I'll support your publishing of this and we'll get it out. And it's actually quite common if you have a publisher that's your patron for your writings, you start off, hey, I, he, you mentioned him in the first. Oh, right, so, right. So, so the publisher's got to get his due. Yeah. yeah. And by publishing, you mean he had three guys with little pins? Yeah, it's not the... <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. it's the... You three guys start writing until you're done. Yeah, 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 <laughs> but it still takes money. Pays a little bit more than minimum wage. Yeah, yeah sure does. <laughs> it's semi-skilled labor. Okay, go ahead. What you're saying, like he had ghost writers? No, uh, there's no such thing as a copy machine back in the day. So the way that they copied a book was with a pen. Well, that's what I mean. Yeah. You're wanting to send it out, but they didn't have the 
printer writers would have to hire people to, to help. Yes. That's what I meant by ghostwriter. That's the ghostwriter. Well, that's not what a ghostwriter means. <laughs> ghostwriters, I want to write a book on algebra. I have nothing to do, but I want my name to be on algebra, but Clayton Neck, I know. So I hired Lester, who knows algebra. He writes it, but I get the credit for it. Original writer. He gets the royalties and he just pays him off in one big pile. That's how that works. <laughs> Actually, those politicians, that's what they do with their books. Sure they do. Sure they do. Jimmy Swagger had Okay, never mind. I'm sorry. I'm gonna, okay. Uh, so, uh, that's who Theophilus could have been. And that's what we know about Luke. Uh, continuing this, uh, Luke... Uh, packed more details in Acts and Luke than any other book in the Bible. Uh, he is he is Mr. Detail Guy, and which kind of goes for the fact that he is a physician and he is a he is a type A historian. He's he's a man after my own heart, really. So we get numbers of exactly how many it was, what that disease looked like. You know, uh, he gives us descriptions of things which the other writers don't, uh, and so and also his level of vocabulary use in Greek. And I can't, I don't re read Greek, so I can't really attest to this. But it's an order of magnitude higher than the other levels of Greek. You know, he, he's writing there, here, and he's writing up here. He's, he's educated. He's educated. He's got uh, a broader understanding of writing in Greek, and yes. he's got a wider vocabulary. And he's uh, book learned. He, he's book learned. Yeah, yeah. He's an intellect. He well, he, he went to school, and more school than the rest. That's why I say he had a lot of yeah. intellect. Okay. Uh, Date-wise, that's narrowed down pretty tight, too. Uh, based upon events that took place in the book and events that happened after AD 70, which is the Roman crushing of the temple, uh, and, and, and a very public execution of Paul, um, we know, based upon what was mentioned and what isn't mentioned, it had to have been written between AD 63 and 70. So it, it was written before Paul's death because Acts finishes before uh, you know, his, his master dies and he would have included that if, if, if he had still been following him at that time or, or if this book had been written at that time. So it's a, it's a, you know, as far as ancient books goes, this is pretty tight dating actually within about seven years. You yeah, know. It was right after Jesus resurrection before he finally went to heaven the second time. It's about 34 years after that. <laughs> well, why is the first chapter talking about Jesus uh, well, ascending? Guys talk and you hear things. I don't think he saw that. I think he was following Paul. I don't think Paul saw it either, but I think he met John. I think he met everybody that did. They hung out together. Sort of. I think I think I won an argument with Bill. Did you see that? I think I think I did. Okay. Um, I'll, no, I'm going to wait and let you read the first, all right, all right. The first he's, chapter. He's gearing up for later. All right. <laughs> well, my date for the book is six, uh, anywhere between sixty-three A.D. and seventy A.D. That's which is what I yeah, got. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. 
And, and, and I looked up why those dates are there, and, and I get it. One has to do with the fall of the temple. That's 70, mm -hmm. and I don't remember 63. But there was something that happened before that, that, that places it right there as being the earliest possible. It started in the dispersion under uh, who was that between? I can't remember. Mm-hmm. dispersion of the gospel from Jerusalem out to Rome. It's basically uh, it's following the development of the church and it, get, it basically covers the Mediterranean and Africa it, it, as it goes out in concentric circles. And, and it ends with Paul in Rome and that's, and that's where it stops. So it's a very specific part of church history and a, and a significant one. And it's amazing how God had to and persecution against the Christians to get them to spread out. Well, we've had that conversation. Yeah. Uh, so, Acts 1 1. In my formal book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen, after his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Jesus said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates. The Father is set by his own authority. And this is where uh, you need to put the orchestral chorus for Handel's Messiah in the background. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and all the ends of the earth. Can you hear all four parts at the same time when when you read that? I can. I can. I can't read that. I can't read this without hearing. Hand. No, that's okay. It's okay. Here's a question. Yes, he's saying for them to stay here to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. But back in John, it says that he breathed the Holy Spirit on them. That is curious, isn't it? So he, it's like. They were already filled with the Holy Spirit, I thought, when he said he well, breathed. That is curious, isn't it? Was that the salvation blowing on and filling the Spirit? This is more of the Pentecostal power, the charismatic gift of the filling the Spirit. Not elder wouldn't They didn't see the fire until Pentecost. There was literal fire? Shh. Okay, okay. Said cloven tongues of fire settled on them. Okay, okay. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid them from their sight. 
They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking up in the sky? This same Jesus who has taken from you into heaven will come back and in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Okay, so this is what kicks this story off. In, in ancient literature, when you're writing a sequel and there are many, many sequels to compare it to, uh, the author has to do two things. A, he needs to summarize the last book. Then he needs to outline this book. Then he jumps into it. Like Batman. The series of the 60s. They, well, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see your point. <laughs> yes. So we have, we have to connect this to the previous step in the series. And this is exactly what he does. In my former book, Theopolis, I wrote about all that Jesus did. And he gives this summary. And, and then he says, and then he shows that Christ ascending, which he did not show in his book. Wait. He doesn't ascend in Luke. And so he shows Christ's ascension. And just before Christ ascends, he says... You're going to be witnesses that go to Jerusalem and to Judea and to Samaria. You're going to spread out the word to the rest of the world. And that's literally what Acts is recording. It's, it's recording this spreading out. And yes, uh, because I have to chase this rabbit, I was raised by a Southern Baptist music minister who was always expected to put on a big Christmas show at, at, you know, for Christmas for the big service. And uh, being a Southern Baptist music minister and running three choirs in churches that did not have enough people to actually support three choirs, uh, he put on Handel's Messiah, or at least some, I'm not joking, I, I, little churches. Uh, he would put on Handel's Messiah, even if he had to cut down part of it so that it was just enough for old ladies to manage. And, and, because, and because I was his son, I was automatically a member of every choir he had, regardless of the age limit of that choir. So senior choir, yes, there was a 13-year-old Kevin Evans in the senior choir. And, and when I was 18, I was in the children's choir. Yes, I was. <laughs> At the same time that I was in the, in the sanctuary choir and the old-timers choir, it didn't... Oh, yes. Anyway, I, I imagine every... Imagine every embarrassing uh, issue you can think of. That was pretty much me, yes. So I have sung Handel's Messiah in all of its parts, you know, as my force, voice slowly deepened over time. You too? And uh, so, so when I read this, it's almost funny. Not only can I hear all four parts, you know, one of them is in my father's voice. It's great. Anyway. Uh, the whole two-hour thing? What? The whole two-hour thing? No, don't. Just the, the, the verse. It's okay. Well, I mean, I think this might be trauma. This might be trauma. Which can, can we? Is this possibly trauma? This, is not, we, this Wednesday night's my black. Okay, yeah, we might need to talk about this later. Two, because a lot of people only think Messiah. It's long. Yeah, I know. I know. I know. I took faith to it. Uh huh. And it's like you're there for a couple hours. It's one of the greatest masterpieces of all time. And I know it. It. It's. It, you know. You know how in. Uh, in London, when these little uh, uh, theater groups put on Shakespeare and the only people that come to it are people that perform Shakespeare. That's how I feel when I see Handel's Messiah. I've seen it performed several times, but it's like I know every little note in it. Did you realize a lot of churches are 
What? Why? Never heard of such. Churches are always. I don't know what you're talking about. Okay, so this is the Great Commission: go out and witness and tell everyone. And so this is what where he places this this uh, mantle of uh, discipleship and go out on your own and and, and follow the Holy Spirit. Uh, after this, he says he was taken up before their very eyes. And okay, what have I missed? And he met them in, uh, he just talked about the angels telling them why they're looking up in the sky. Mm-hmm. Verse 11. I'm sorry, I lost my, my, my point, my, where I was. Verse 11. All right, Galileo, okay. So, I think that's it. Verse 12. When they returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. Yeah, that's where I wanted to be. Okay. Then they arrived and went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. Uh, I think it's important that those names be in that order. They all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120, and said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through the mouth of David concerning Judas who served as guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in this ministry. And then John says to the side, with the reward he got for his wickedness, Judas bought a field. There he fell headlong and his body burst open and all his intestines spilled out. Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this, so they called their field to their language, Al-Kaldama, which is the field of blood. For, said Peter, going back to Peter, it is written in the book of Psalms, May this place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it, and may another take his place in leadership. And that was Psalms 109.8. There's also about five other psalm references that may possibly refer to Judas, depending on how you interpret it. 21. Therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been taken with us the whole time the Lord sent went in and out among us. Who have been with us the whole time the Lord went in and out among us. Beginning with John's baptism... To the time when Jesus was taken up with us. So he wants somebody that's been a uh, wide disciple. I don't know how to describe him. Not one of the inner circle, but been around since the beginning. One with a shadow. Yeah. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they proposed two men. Joseph, called Barsabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots, and the lot fell to Matthias, so that he was added to the 11 apostles. I think it's unique. I I never really understood, but I know all through the Old Testament they talk about casting lots. We'll get there. Let's start at the top and work our way down. Um, Sorry, Bill. Um, so they're on the Mount of Olives. It's a Sabbath day walk from the city. 
that's loaded with Jewish meaning right there that Luke was aware of. So uh, according to rabbinical law, on a Sabbath, you were not to work in any way, and they were very fastidious about following thousands and thousands of little laws on how much you could do and still be holy on the Sabbath. And if you break one of those laws, you can't come to the temple, which is a bad thing. You need to be able to take part in, in, in temple activities in order to honor God and also to maintain your social standing. If you don't show up at temple, then people don't do business with you the next week. So this is kind of important. Uh, and so, it, it was, so people were careful about it. Now, the thing is, if you can't work, walking is work, and you got to go to temple, so you got to walk to go to the temple. Isn't that work? I can't hire Gentiles to carry me in, you know, so, so, so there had to be some kind of definition of what was work and what wasn't when it comes to walking. And after a whole bunch of Pharisees got together and decided what was most profitable, they, uh, that, that was my, that was Gospel of Kevin. Uh, they decided that 2,000 cubits is your, your maximum. walking maximum on a Sunday. So they had these that, little, that, uh, that, 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 huh? That little pedometer clickers and they wore them on their, their apple. Yeah. Apple. yeah. <laughs> no, but yes, that's what they're doing. They're, they're measuring how far it is. And what a cubit, uh, okay, I got an argument over this too. It, it's either 11 inches or 13 inches. It, it, it depends on which definition. And if you add that up, I, I saw one guy say it's 2,000 cubits, right? And so it's 11 inches, therefore it's 3,000 feet. Okay, do you, can you do that math? That math does not hold up and I have it in print. Anyway, so it's because we don't know exactly how long a cubit was. But it is roughly a little more than half a mile. It doesn't matter how you, it's a matter of feet, which is the distance. It, it, it's a little over half a mile. You can walk a little over half a mile and still be holy in ancient Jerusalem according to Jewish law. But if you walk more than that, oh no, you're working now. So they were working because it was a day's walk, it was a day's walk from the Mount of Olives back so to Jerusalem. Not, it's not a day's walk, it's half a mile. I could walk that in 20 minutes. That goes back to the same Yeah. Sabbath. Well, well I, I'm fat. God created the Sabbath for us. <laughs> but you can only do it for the Sabbath. It's like four so Yes. You can only do a quarter mile too. That's what I was thinking. I was like, if you're going to walk back, you just get a Otherwise, you take these sleeping bags. Okay. So, the Mount of Olives is right beside the temple. And it's in between the temple and you've got the Dead Sea down here. So, there's kind of a peak and it's a, a low peak. And then it comes over and Bethsaida is right there. So it's over the rise of this, this mountain on the, on the Dead Sea side. At least that's how it was described to me. And I looked at a map, and it, I'm not sure I know where that mountain is exactly. So, that, so when they say the Sabbath day's journey, they mean that that's just they, a half a mile. They mean a little more than half a mile. So, so that's, I know, I know that seems a long way to go for that, but that's what they're talking about. But it also shows that Luke is aware of all of the... Hebrew rabbinical nuances, and it makes me, yeah, yes, I think he's from, he's, he's Greek, but I think he's a Jewish Greek, if that makes any sense, or at least he's well-versed in all things Jewish, because he's putting, 
he's putting rabbinical things. Also, you get this while he's talking about Jerusalem, and when Paul leaves this, all that disappears. So, you know, suddenly we're not talking about Jewish, you know, there, there's, there, there's, there are no Jewish references after Paul leaves Jerusalem. Paul was done. <laughs> Tells me something. I want to eat pig. Paul was sent to the Gentiles. That's why him and Peter could never get along. Because they were always a division over the Jews and the Gentiles. Okay, so they go back to upstairs to the room where they were staying. I want to believe this is the same room that they had at the Last Supper. It may not be. It's a rented spot in Jerusalem or, or in Bethsaida probably where, they, uh, where they're all living. And we know that uh, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus lived in Bethsaida, right? And it doesn't say that this is their home, but it could have been. I don't, it's wherever they all gathered. And so all the disciples, after all these appearances of Christ, show up together, and, and we have the 11. The remaining apostles are all together, along with 115 of their, 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 their very closest friends all show up. So this is a big gathering. The, that the many church. Pe- the church. Yes, that many people <laughs> can't fit in the upper room. I don't care how big that room was. It, there's a, that's a lot of people. Why are you looking to be funny? So because in other cultures, that's nothing. Yeah, yeah. but... I'm talking 300 of them. Yeah, but in you... In a room that size. Really? Yeah, but up the room... Okay. Maybe a little. The youth. little. <laughs> yeah, I didn't say <laughs> that. <laughs> yeah, but think about this. 120 people up in the little youth room. That's basically... More or less what it is. Well, I mean, it's getting a little close. Yeah, yeah. Well, we I defer close. to your wider cultural experience. <laughs> Well, we really I'll give you that. We really don't understand how big this room is. I we mean, don't. This, we don't. this could have been a rich person's home with a large upper room that he was loaning out. And I think that's likely. Yeah. You know, church. So, yeah. They're having church. They're having church. So Peter is listed first. In, uh, as we've discussed before, anytime you see a list of names in any kind of ancient literature, it's usually a hierarchical listing and usually by age when, it, when it, we're talking about Jews. So Peter is the oldest and the spokesman. He's the rabbi that everybody's kind of following. Even in a group of equals, the oldest guy is the one that's going to do all the talking. You send grandpa in to negotiate the, 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 the fishing deal. That's just the way it works. Send grandpa in to, to negotiate by the wife. He's been around a while, yeah. So it's Peter and then John. And, and see, now we know John's the youngest, at least I think we do. Uh, but now he's second. So I think John, why is he listed second? I'm thinking John carries a little more weight now, maybe? I don't know. You know, you, you know Mary did move in with him recently. I mean, you know, I think he's got some credit. Well, yours uh, listed him a little bit different. What? Your, your Bible is not different than mine on this, is it? Well, mine says Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the brother of James. You're saying that James comes before John and yours? Yes. Well, John. obviously that's a mistake. Because <laughs> mine, mine is obviously right. So. But Jesus did this one. What do you do? Right. <laughs> 
Okay. Are you asking about translations? Yeah. Okay. All right, brother. It was written in Greek, and Greek doesn't have all the little modifiers that we have in modern English. All the twos and the, and the pronouns are a little weird, and there's a lot of uh, context that you have to read into a Greek line, and, and I don't speak Greek or read it, so I'm really speaking out of turn here. Uh, so all the theologians in the room that are rolling their eyes behind my head, no, you know, I'm I defer. I'm agreeing. Okay. So when it's translated into English, there, it's not just a direct translation. There has to be interpretation. So not only do we, do we figure out what the words mean, we have to decide what those words in those order mean within this context and then put it into English. It's not easy or particularly precise. It takes a little bit because... If you take, and I'm, I'm, I hope you haven't agreed with it, when you take the Greek and you do it directly to English, it makes no, no sense, sense yeah. because the semantics, the... Is it like, uh, because like uh, in Spanish, uh, it's uh, from uh, end to beginning, or you know what I mean? Like That's the least of it, yes, yes, yes. Because cause, cause they've got, because depending on the beginning of the word tells you if like this cup is on the table, it changes as opposed to the cup is under the table. Completely changes the word, and I mean it. Make it's very awkward to read from the Greek directly to the English because then you have to kind of okay, what's the rules of grammar in English, and then you uh -huh. have to change it up, and people may have different opinions. Now the thing we go to whether James or John goes first. What does it matter? <laughs> yeah, I mean, really. <laughs> well, <laughs> to Kevin. Okay, okay, yeah, it matters to me. To simplify it, it basically makes sense because the first two called, Jesus called, was Peter and James. I don't know. So why would it not be that? And we're probably reading way too much into this. I, just we're reading I don't think it does my, yeah. my, my salvation is not based on this. I have a whole lecture on the history of the English Bible, and if you really want to hear that, we'll talk later. <laughs> okay, I'm not going to give it to you now. Okay. Yes, I well, this is a much newer translation, and it goes direct back to the original Greek. The King James, God bless it, I, I love the King James, and for it, it was absolutely inspired when it was translated. 75% uh, of the King James was translated by a guy named William Tinsdale, and I'm convinced that he was powerfully filled by the Holy Spirit when he did this, because he did things that were absolutely magical when he was translating. You know, uh, I, don't, I don't know that, that logic or learning could in any way explain William Tinsdale. Uh, so, I respect the King James Bible. However, there are little Elizabethan English tweaks in it that really don't translate well to modern English, and it really doesn't capture what was intended in the Greek. I think you took liberties with it. Not as many as most people would like to think. Yeah, sometimes. Interpretation of the Greek. I don't know if it's a misinterpretation. I think you can have two sound interpretations of the same thing. Fair? So, so why would they reverse those two names? Because in the original Greek, the way it's written may bring that into question. 
And, and there were three theologians that all speak detailed Greek and have high degrees, argue about it for 15 minutes, and they switch those two names. Also, That's how that happened. three people watch the same event, you get three different stories. Yes. And understand the Greek that we're translating from is not today's Greek. It's a 2,000-year-old Greek that right. no one speaks anymore. So there is a lot of, quote-unquote, self-interpretation. What were they meaning by this? Uh-huh. That we just don't, I mean, you just don't go to Greece, Greek. This is called Koine Greek, which is ancient Greek. It's, it's, it's street Greek, yep. really. And the Greek that, like in Greece today, is not right. like it it's at all. Not really yeah. 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 Right. It's not really Greek. Yeah, it's not. All of the story itself doesn't change. It doesn't matter. It doesn't. And and honestly, all these lovely little things that I love arguing about have no effect on the interpretation of Scripture whatsoever. They they really don't matter, you know. And that can't change your spiritual life. Not at all. I just just like to have that. James is first. I ain't going to heaven. I'm not going to heaven. (laughs) There is this passion play screenplay in my head. And I like... I like to understand how that story went down. I, the details are important to me. Yeah. Okay. Um, wow, I'm out of time. No, keep going. So, uh, Peter, it, it, so it gives the name of all these, the 11. And they all join together constantly in prayer with the women. Which, okay, the only one he names is Mary, the mother of Jesus, who is now living with John. Uh, this is probably Mary Magdalene. It's probably Mary, the wife of Clophus. It may have been Mary and Martha because they're in Bethesda, and that might be exactly where they're staying. We don't really know. The usual suspects. Yes. And, and then his brothers, which is the first time that, actually, not the first time we've heard of them. It's the first time we've been mentioned in Acts. Uh, back in Matthew, Jesus' half-brothers are mentioned and I've got their names in here somewhere. Uh, James, Joseph, Simon, and Jude. Now, they're not listed as being believers anywhere in the Gospels. They, they don't come up. However, we know from post-biblical studies that James became the equivalent of a bishop in Jerusalem. Uh, it, depending on how you interpret the word apostoli or whatever. Yes. He was the head of the church. Yes. He was the he was the uh, number one guy in the church. Which is what bishop means, I think. Okay, I guess. If you had, uh, well, but <laughs> some people different interpretations. Of it. Peter is the spiritual, you know, like the yeah. main preacher. But when it comes to the Jerusalem Council, he was in charge of the Jerusalem Council. The Jerusalem Council was the highest council for the church. Do you think Jude was there? As quick, Jesus' brother was there? When they say his brother, do you think Jude was there in the midst of these? Oh, Why? I just was curious because I know he became a Christian because he wrote, you know, the book of Jude. I just, so I just, I just wondered if he would, if you thought he might be in the midst of all of these. Doesn't say, but he says brothers. There's more than one, and I bet one of them is James because he got he got involved later. Uh, so uh, in this 120 people, we've got a growing respect for Christ's teaching from Christ's family. Plus, we've got all the women. It could also involve some of their wives that aren't named. I don't know. Uh, commentators really have a lot of fun with, with who all those people were. Well, then they even say back during when Jesus was uh, doing the Sermon on the Mount, you know, it says there were 5,000, and that was men. Right. 
So there could have been 20,000 people. 20,000 people yeah. when you include the women and children. Mm -hmm. I think this is a huge change in the cultural aspect because I think now, I mean, you're, getting, you're having someone who's actually acknowledging the women present, which never happened before. True. I mean, women, to sit there and Women weren't in the ministry then. <laughs> women were treated like, to my opinion, in the Bible, Cattle. they were treated like slaves. But well, I mean, they we, seem to be integral to the story. And no, so, you know, and we, they start you have to include them. You know what I'm and saying? it's like, I, I think before this, they're, they're not, oh, no, the men were there. Forget, oh, yeah, there's some yeah, men. But no, this is, they're given a prominent place. They're, this yeah. is the beginning of that to where, no, Mary was there. These women were here. These women were at the cross. These women were at the tomb. These women are here. And I, I, I see a switch to where the church is going to start changing the culture a little bit where women are given more prominence. It's not just the men, right. not the disciples. We know that women became prophets and ministries, ministers because Paul talks about them in his ministry, you know, so. Women have always been valued, though, in Scripture, even in the Old Testament. It's just, you know, men's but reading through the Old Testament, it seems like women are treated like slaves. They're still treated. Hey, have my daughter. <laughs> <laughs> Here, guys, outside, I'm throwing my daughter to you. <laughs> even, even a man's wife. Until you get to the judges. Yeah, even a man's wife is kind of like a slave. I mean, you know, it's more like instead of his wife, it's like she's she's a slave. I mean, <sighs> what's the matter? Those were the days. Yeah. Well, the Old, Te the Old Testament prayer, the Old Testament Jewish prayer. She doesn't listen. It's okay. The Old well, the Old Testament Jewish prayer was, I thank you, Lord, for not making me a Gentile or a woman. Yeah. 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 And that's a real prayer. It's a Jewish prayer. It is, yeah. Because I've always questioned, you know, about why God allowed the women to be so harshly treated through that throughout the Old Testament. What was your wobbles here? There's no one to bang but Jennifer. This is so sad. Okay, unless we break into a whole thing on feminism, let's move on. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120, and said, Brethren, the scripture is to be fulfilled. He was referring to Psalms 109.8 that was talking about uh, uh, one of the disciples falling and then somebody taking his place in his office. Uh, and uh, there are two references, although Peter doesn't refer to them specifically. And he says, The Holy Spirit spoke long ago through the mouth of David concerning Judas, who served as guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was the one of our number and shared in this ministry. So he's acknowledging that Judas is gone. Then John, because my Bible has little brackets around this, which shows that you know John is inserting this. I mean, excuse me, act, uh, Luke is inserting this into the story. He says, with the reward he got for his wickedness, Judas bought a field. There he fell headlong, his body burst open, and all his intestines spilled out. However, that is completely inconsistent with the story of Judas in the Gospels. Because Judas uh, took the cost of the field and threw it back on the temple steps and then hung himself. Yeah. Huh. So how do we reconcile these two stories? First of all, I think Luke wasn't there. Luke wasn't there, and he is picking up secondhand information. And I don't. I, I would like to believe that Luke read the Gospels, and so he knows the hanging story. But then it, he he heard this story from somebody else, 
who knew something about it, who, did, who, who was giving their perspective. Anytime you have a uh, car accident and a police, the police interview multiple people, you get slightly different takes on the car accident because they pick up on different stuff. So it doesn't necessarily mean that either one of them is wrong. So here's the broad interpretation. Uh, Judas repented of his betrayal. He threw the coins back at the, uh, the Pharisees. The Pharisees bought the field. And, and then and Judas killed himself. The Pharisees bought the field on which he killed himself to use as a burial ground later. So the, 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 the silver itself was used to buy that, but Judas was dead by the time it was purchased. What was the other reason why the Pharisees didn't want to keep it? It was blood money. They couldn't keep it. Right. It was blood money. It was, it was, it was so he hung himself uh, in a desolate place, and in the Roman way, you don't cut the body down. You let it hang as a message. People just don't run around in Jerusalem cutting down executed people. And so his body rotted, and when it did, it well, eventually burst. Yeah. That's, it rots and bursts. Yes. And all this stuff comes out. So, so when Luke gets this story, you know, it, it was really, you know, we saw the body, and it was, it was probably. Yeah, but it was six days later. That was nice and gory, wasn't it? You know, I got a video. Huh? What? Uh, it seems that we are completely out of time, and my class is leaving me, even though I haven't dismissed. Would you, would you guys like a donut? Please take. All right. Uh, goodbye, internet. We will pick it up somewhere around in here tomorrow. Next week. You know, his body. You know, riding. Kevin, brother, the Holy Spirit worked through you today. Why is that? I'm changing the direction of my class on Wednesday. I'm going to do a thing on the, on the, uh, the Messiah. There's a, there's a trauma section in it. A trauma section on the Messiah. Fascinating. I show I'm turning off the microphone. Oh, oh, I don't care. It's <laughs> baptized before my class. Hey, everybody, come to Yek's class. He's going to.